From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, can the Biden administration talk Russian President Vladimir Putin out of invading Ukraine? It it is certainly possible that uh, the diplomacy that Russia is engaged in uh, is simply going through the motions, and it won't affect their ultimate decision about whether to invade or in some other way intervene or not in Ukraine. But we have a responsibility uh, to see the diplomacy through for as, as far and as long as we can go. That was Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Meet the Press yesterday. But Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, said on Fox News yesterday that the Biden administration's own actions have set the stage for this conflict. And there, I think President Biden bears a lot of the blame. For a year, he's been appeasing Vladimir Putin. We'll talk to the senator in just a moment, but first we'll get an update on the unfolding situation from Guy Taylor, national security team leader for The Washington Times. And our own Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, retired from the United States Army, joins us for a discussion on the national security dominoes that could fall if the U.S. does not effectively respond to Russia and its threat to Ukraine. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in a case out of Boston where the city over the last 12 years, approved the flying of 284 flags over the city's capital, including the Chinese communist flag. Only one flag was rejected. Want to guess which one it was? It was the Christian flag. Matt Staver of Liberty Council argued the case before the Supreme Court. He joins us later on the prospects of victory and what that victory would mean. And today in Finland, a member of parliament, Pave Rosanen, was on trial, facing up to six years in prison. Her crime? Tweeting a Bible verse. We'll get a live update from Paul Coleman, Executive Director of Alliance Defending Freedom International from Finland. The case is so concerning that members of Congress here in the U.S. have weighed in. Texas Congressman Chip Roy, who has been leading the congressional effort among his colleagues, joins us later on this edition of Washington Watch. A lot to cover today. If you happen to miss anything, you can find it all later archived at TonyPerkins.com, along with lots of resources and contact information for our guest. The verse of the day from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, Job chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? The question is, how would God describe you? If you'd like to be a part of our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, NATO announced that its allies were putting forces on standby and sending additional ships and fighter jets to Eastern Europe to enhance deterrence and defense in response to Russia's military buildup around Ukraine's borders. Also, the U.S. State Department yesterday ordered the departure of all family members of the U.S. Embassy out of Ukraine and issued level four travel advisories urging Americans not to travel to the country due to the increased threats of Russian military action and COVID-19. Joining me now to talk about the latest news on the escalating Russia-Ukraine tensions is Guy Taylor, national security team leader at The Washington Times, who has been reporting on this story. Guy, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here with you. So what? Uh, give us uh, the latest update on the situation right now. 
It's, it's interesting. We see the Biden administration uh, scrambling at the start of the news cycle again uh, this week, similar to last week where we had Anthony Blinken uh, suddenly doing shuttle diplomacy uh, back in the region where he was in Kiev and then later in the week held a, a summit with uh, the Russian foreign minister. Uh, now we have the administration stepping up and the Pentagon has announced this afternoon that in fact uh, the White House is putting 8,500 American troops on alert for a possible uh, rush deployment uh, to join uh, other NATO forces uh, in the Baltic states. I, it'll actually either be Poland or Romania. Uh, not a lot of specifics yet on exactly where these troops will go, but uh, and also when they will go. But what you see is a shift here um, where we could kind of criticize the administration for really not being strong enough yet and not really standing up to Putin, kind of pandering to the Russian president over Ukraine. We now see a shift where this announcement of troops is a little bit politically controversial for Biden. It's going to expose him. It's going to draw a lot more media attention and global media attention. I think it's it's that's the latest development. It's interesting to see how this is going to play out in one key bit of context here uh, for your viewers trying to unpack this, the United States already has about 4,000 troops stationed in Poland. The Polish government uh, is is very uh, positive and pro-U.S. Uh, on both sides of the aisle, but especially in the Trump era, there was a movement in Poland to try and rename a, a base there, uh, uh, Fort Trump. Um, and there are another 4,000 NATO troops, and this is mostly Western European troops, uh, peppered across the Baltic states. So that's just a bit of context when people start throwing around, wait, what are we doing? Why are, why, where would these American troops go? It's not unprecedented. We're already there trying to protect democracies and help them stand up uh, basic um, uh, pro-democracy uh, security uh, apparatuses that protect each other and prevent wars and prevent basically the really authoritarian leading auto autocratic government in Moscow from trying to reclaim uh, now democratic areas of the former Soviet Union. So, Guy, is it your sense, based on what's happening today, as we saw last week, you just said it was kind of a nonchalant while we're going to talk this thing through. Is it a sense of urgency you see now or panic? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, it's, it's going to depend on who you ask. I think if you ask Democrats who are, are, you know, trying to find a way to defend Biden, who looks pretty weak at this point uh, after the the uh, chaos of the Afghanistan pullout and how that was handled last year, um, I think that they're going to try to defend him and say um, that it's it's a scramble. There's urgency. Uh, at the same time, I think you're seeing a swell now of, of administration critics, especially Republicans, although Republicans are a little bit divided in Washington now on their message. Uh, but really, Republicans, I think, are pointing out, look, Mr. President, you came into office uh, talking about the importance of democracy, talking about how your administration was going to stand with Democratic allies, how your administration was going to hold this democracy summit for the world and all of these things, and it really, it's lip service because you're pandering to Iran, uh, a tyrannical government in the Middle East. You're pandering to Putin. Uh, you're really not standing up to uh, China very effectively. And here you have this great test to your uh, sort of mantra of being this great pro-democracy president in this geopolitical fault line that is 
Ukraine, where the Russians are trying to, to come in. And, and, you know, now I think there's a bit of desperation where the administration is realizing yeah. that we're about this close to a possible uh, Russian incursion, military incursion into Ukraine that won't just be a repeat of the 2014 incursion that saw the Russians reclaim uh, just the Crimean Peninsula. I think Russia will try to cleave off half of Ukraine at this point. Right. And they'll leave won't Kiev be. in the west to the other, yeah, to the other side. It won't be minor. Uh, whatever happens. Uh, Guy Taylor, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, appreciate your insights on what is unfolding right before us. It's a great program. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Uh, Guy Taylor with The Washington Times. All right. Some say the Biden administration's foreign policy has been facilitating this potential hot war in Ukraine. With me now is U.S. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas. He serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Intelligence Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's good to be back on with you. So yesterday you were on Fox News and you're you're take on this is the weakness of the Biden administration has really facilitated what we're seeing unfold right now in Ukraine. I think that's part of it, Tony, not the only part, but it's an important part to understand. I think you need to step back and look at Vladimir Putin's thinking. Um, most of what he says these days is a pretext to red herring uh, for his buildup of troops in Ukraine's border. He says, for instance, that he can't tolerate Ukraine becoming part of NATO. Um, well, Tony, there's no plan for Ukraine to become a part of NATO. There's been no steps towards Ukraine becoming part of NATO. He says he can't tolerate uh, NATO or American combat exercises on Ukraine's soil. Again, uh, those exercises aren't occurring. We don't have large numbers of combat troops in Ukraine. We never have. We've on occasion had military advisors, usually in the far western side of Ukraine near Poland and Hungary. Um, but we have those troops stationed in literally dozens of countries around the world, helping train and professionalize armed forces. So what is Putin really getting at here? What does he want to accomplish with a potential invasion of Ukraine? There's a few things, Tony. First, uh, he wants to reassemble the greater Russian empire, whether it's from Tsarist days or the days of Soviet Russia. Uh, there, can no be great, there can be no greater Russia without Ukraine. Uh, second, he wants to build a network of non-democratic states around Russia that are beholden to him as a kind of buffer. And third, he doesn't want any kind of democratic or representative government on uh, the soil of Slavic nations around Russia. Otherwise, the Russian people might say, well, look at Ukraine and look at Georgia. They've become democracies. Why can't we become a democracy in Russia? That would threaten Putin's hold of power. So those are the three things that I think he really wants. But that's what he's always wanted, Tony. So the question then becomes, why now? Why not two years ago? Why not four years ago? And I think the only answer to that, Tony, is that Joe Biden's foreign policy towards Russia has invited Vladimir Putin to conduct this very dangerous, provocative buildup. If you look in his first weeks in office, Joe Biden extended a very one-sided nuclear arms control treaty, giving away the store to Vladimir Putin. That's what Vladimir Putin wanted from Donald Trump. Donald Trump refused to do it. Then he lifted any potential sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline that will help Russia feed more gas into Germany, making Germany more beholden on Russia, letting Russia put more pressure not only on Ukraine, but NATO allies like Poland. There was the colonial pipeline hack, Tony, uh, that was almost certainly directed by or tolerated by the Russian government. And we didn't really take any serious action against it. And, and then, of course, there was the complete debacle in Afghanistan last August. Uh, when you top that off last week, Joe Biden, in effect, gave Vladimir Putin the green light talking about how minor incursions might be something that the West 
that would divide the West, not yield a, a stiff response. So when you look at what Vladimir Putin wants to achieve and the reason uh, that he's always wanted to achieve it, yet he's only now going for broke, it would appear, I think you can't avoid the position that Joe Biden's weakness and his appeasement of Vladimir Putin has contributed substantially to this crisis. So this is what he's wanted all along since uh, he's been there a little over 20 years, two decades. He's been looking for the opportunity and what you're saying is the failed foreign policy approaches of the Biden administration has has set the table. I think that's uh, probably the primary reason, Tony, that he thinks now the timing is right. It's not the only reason you have a new government in Germany that is finding its feet. It's divided on its posture towards Russia. You have the president of France up for re-election. You have gas prices that are very high, giving Russia more uh, leverage over Europe. Um, you have a Ukraine that is pretty steadily drifted away from Russia. They're not part of NATO. They're not part of the European Union. But it has become apparent since this 2014 invasion of Crimea and the Donbas, the Ukrainian people are moving away from them. The big difference uh, now is you have a weak president. We're up against a break, Senator, but one, one final question for you. If Donald Trump were in the White House, would that same opportunity be there? I don't think so. Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine the last time there's a Democratic president. He may be about to invade when there's a new Democratic president. He didn't invade when there was a Republican president. All right. Senator Tom Cotton, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. All right, folks, stick around. On the other side of the break, uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, founding member of the Delta Force, joins us to talk about the dominoes that could fall from a national security standpoint if the U.S. does not take the right position as it pertains to Russia and Ukraine. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're back right after this with more today's program. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, It is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, 
interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, we just heard from uh, Senator Tom Cotton. The desire on behalf of Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine and begin to create this buffer around Russia is not new. But what is new is the political landscape, in part because of America's foreign policy. The question is, what happens if we see Russia making a move on Ukraine and the U.S. fails in its efforts? Could this have implications elsewhere for America's national security? Joining me now to uh, to talk about this is the executive vice president of the Family Research Council, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who retired after 36 and a half years of military service in the United States Army. His last position, Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, and he was also one of the original members of the Army's Delta Force. General, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you, Tony. All right. We were just uh, talking uh, with Senator Cotton about uh, there's nothing new here about Vladimir Putin's desire. Uh, He's been wanting to create this buffer. He's been wanting to make a move on Ukraine. But the stage has changed significantly internationally. In part, we look at the weakness on behalf of the U.S., Biden administration, and look at Afghanistan. Uh, We went through a litany of... uh, Uh, fumbles on behalf of the Biden administration, even as early as last week uh, with uh, as late as last week with his comments about a minor incursion. The question I have, General, um, what are the other dominoes that could fall if the United States does not respond appropriately to Russia and its threat to Ukraine? Well, the first one that obviously comes to mind is uh, China and Taiwan. And keep in mind that uh, as far as China goes, the one of their primary foreign policy objectives uh, is to re-attain uh, the island of Taiwan. And they have uh, been set on that since it was Formosa back after World War II. They've been pretty well determined to regain that that. Uh, atoll there. So that is one. Uh, another one, though, could also be the impact on uh, Kim Jong-un in terms of uh, him becoming even more belligerent if uh, the United States and its allies allow uh, Russia to go in and, and annex yet another 
uh, sovereign state uh, like they did Crimea, which was part of that sovereign state in 2014 when they took it. And then the other one that I would say uh, really scares me because of my passion for Israel is the uh, is the Iranians. And the Iranians are right now in the middle of talks, which uh, I, I think will ultimately re- result in nothing, but uh, they could become more belligerent as well. And and uh, they have uh, they have uh, actually told us that they want to destroy Israel, uh, and they are uh, you know they've done a number of things that would indicate that they're developing the capabilities to be able to do that very quickly with a nuclear weapon. Okay, so let's go back to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the Secretary of State Blinken talking about diplomatic efforts, although this afternoon the administration announcing sending a limited number of troops uh, to Eastern Europe. What do you think it's going to take to uh, to basically checkmate uh, Vladimir Putin? Well, I think that one thing that would checkmate him, uh, which is, as far as I'm concerned, is not an option for the United States, and that is to give him the guarantee that he's looking for that uh, – we, the United States, will stand in the way of, uh, of of the Ukraine ever becoming a part of NATO. That's his big thing. And and the truth of the matter is, if you look at it from his perspective, he sees uh, uh, the Ukraine as being a buffer between him and the NATO forces of the Western powers. But uh, that is uh, that is not an acceptable uh, alternative, I think, to to him attacking. And so I think that what uh, the Biden administration has to do is uh, pour lethal uh, material into uh, the Ukrainian uh, military there and and make them as lethal as possible so that this is not just a a walkthrough because it's not a very long distance uh, to Kiev. Uh, so we've got to give them as much legal assistance, lethal assistance as we possibly can. And then we've got to, uh, I think, uh, do some sanctioning. And the first sanction that we need to do is we need to roll back what uh, Biden undid, and that is uh, the uh, Nord Stream pipeline. We need to re-sanction the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, you've already seen that the Germans, because of uh, their dependence upon the uh, the Russian oil and the Russian uh, natural gas. You've already seen that the Germans are becoming an impediment to uh, NATO being able to do anything here uh, against the Russians at this very, very critical time. So I think that uh, what we've got to do is we've got to go in for uh, a a rollback on that uh, decision by the president and reimpose the sanctions on Nord Stream. And then start working diplomatically with our allies, like like the Germans, to uh, to get them on board, so that uh, we have a unified stand against the uh, the uh, Soviet Union or the Russians, because they're trying to become the Soviet Union again. Right. Uh, General, we don't have time to unpack this, and this is a conversation for another time. Not that we're advocating for the use of our military. But our military, in many ways, has already been hollowed out by this administration. And a strong military is a great deterrence uh, to something like this. You don't have to use it if you have it. How quickly we forget the importance of a powerful, strong, capable military. And this administration has not been focused on that. They've been focused on a woke military. Are you worried that he's playing us? Are you worried that he's? 
and uh, we'll pay the price for that uh, as well. General, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Always great to talk Glad with to you. Glad to be with you. All right. uh, Coming up, we'll turn attention back to the United States, where the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments uh, last week in a religious viewpoint case out of Boston. Uh, The city has been flying all kinds of flags over the, uh, the city. In fact, 284 over the last 12 years. Only one did they refuse to fly. It was the Christian flag. Matt Staver with Liberty Council argued before the Supreme Court, and he joins us next to give his take might do. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Finley Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, the website TonyPerkins.com. Last week, as I mentioned, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a religious viewpoint case that involved the city of Boston's rejection of a private flag in a public forum, supposedly open to all applicants, merely because it was referred to by the applicant as a Christian flag. Joining me now to uh, tell us more about the case and how the arguments went is Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver, who presented the oral arguments uh, before the Supreme Court last week. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be with you. 
All right. Uh, I mentioned the fact that over the last 12 years, the city has flown 284 flags over uh, the, the city uh, there on the on this third flagpole that's a public forum. Only one has been rejected. It was from your client. Tell us about it. Yeah, after 12 years, 284 approvals, no denials, usually no review. One word caught the attention of a Boston official, the word Christian, on the application. The flag itself was not the problem. But for the word Christian, if you called it anything but Christian, call it Camp Constitution flag, they even suggested, and the same flag would have flown for an hour with no incident at all. But it was the word Christian on the application. In fact, Boston for 12 years created an open public forum for a wide variety of private expression, both on their city plaza, and they also had four flagpoles, three in front of the city hall, one on the side of city hall. One of those flagpoles was regularly used for private speech, and they would take down one of the flags and they would raise up a private speaker's flag during an event that would happen at the same time. So Camp Constitution, September 2017, wanted to celebrate Constitution Day, federally recognized day. And as part of that, they also wanted to raise the Christian flag so that they would recognize the Christian heritage of Boston and the Commonwealth. You have John Adams, you have, you know, his son. uh, You also have his second cousin, Samuel Adams, uh, the sixth president of the United States, was the John Adams' son. John Adams himself was first vice president, second president, and so forth. So these were very influential people in our founding era, and they were Christians, including he wanted to recognize the Christian community. So on the application, 284 approvals, no denials over 12 years, should be no problem. But one word, the word Christian, is what caused the problem. And then they told Hal Shirtliff, the founder of Camp Constitution, if you called it anything else, call it Camp Constitution flag, whatever, just don't use the word Christian, we'll approve it. But that word Christian stopped the application from being approved. And Boston Uh dug its heels in. And they ended up saying, well, this would be an establishment of religion if we allowed it and it's government speech, so we can censor whatever we want to. Even though this forum continued to remain open, it's not open for you. It's not open for any Christian viewpoint. And we lost twice at the lower court, lost twice at the Court of Appeals, to my surprise. And the Supreme Court uh, saw the egregiousness of this case, took it. And uh, we had a great uh, oral argument last week, Tony. I think... uh, we have a supermajority, if not a nine to zero decision, I think, coming down the pipe. Even wow. Justices Kagan and Breyer asked the city why they didn't settle the case after they made this mistake. Why did they not just settle it and move on instead of defending it as government speech? So uh, listening to the oral arguments, it did sound very favorable. What could be the ramifications of a victory, not just for your client, but could this uh, have implications elsewhere? Oh, yeah. It's not just about a flag, whether you're going to raise a Christian flag on a flagpole, because most people don't do that or even have the opportunity to do it. It's really in the line of the Good News Clubs, the Lamb's Chapel decision, and the free speech in the public forum. If we lose, the consequences would be that places like after-school clubs that open up the facilities for a wide variety of secular meetings could slam the door on good news clubs, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Bible clubs, common library or public rooms where people gather for public meetings, various kinds of private activities could be slammed on people who have a Christian viewpoint. The implications of winning is that that bigotry and that censorship that continues to happen And they falsely raise, well, it's the Establishment Clause, it's a church-state issue. 
that can ultimately be jettisoned. And, and I'm praying that that's what this court will do. I think we had favorable reception from a wide spectrum of justices, but obviously we have to wait for the final decision that'll be sometime between now and the end of June. Quite significant uh, what may be coming out of Balsa. They hoped to, they had hoped to silence Christian, but now they may open the door for <laughs> that uh, message to be flying all across America. Absolutely. You know, it's just like uh, Governor Newsom. He wanted to silence Christians, and ultimately he got five, four, and six, three decisions against him at the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think Boston really wanted to silence Christians. They were really adamant against Christian viewpoints. And in fact, what may ultimately happen is God can turn what appeared to be this attempt for evil to silence Christian viewpoints into something incredibly good for all Christians and Christian viewpoints and other viewpoints around the country to literally open up that opportunity of equal treatment across the board. But only when you have clients willing to go to court to stand up for their constitutional rights and law firms and lawyers like yourself willing to defend them in the courts. That's the difference. Now, that's the big difference because, you know, so many people, they back away. I don't want to fight. But you know what? It's not just you that's at stake. It's not only you, but it's the people after you and the precedent that it could set by walking away from this fight. The fight, the battle, the issues are too big to ignore and walk away. Well, Matt Saver, thank you for fighting them. And uh, this is good news. We'll be watching it very closely, waiting for that decision from the Supreme Court. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. All right. Matt Staver with Liberty Council. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Coming up, a member of the Finnish Parliament in court today facing three criminal charges for publicly voicing her biblical beliefs on marriage and human sexuality. We'll get the latest from Paul Coleman with ADF International. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Finley Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. 
to access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. A Christian lawmaker is facing up to six years in prison for simply expressing biblical truths in a pamphlet, a radio interview, and a tweet directed at their church leaders. And no, this is not a case coming out of the Middle East or Asia, but Finland. Earlier today, Finnish parliamentarian Pave Rasanen found herself in court for three criminal charges. Yes, criminal charges, simply for expressing her biblical beliefs. Here to share what is happening, uh, what happened today at her hearing, is her attorney, Paul Coleman, who serves as the executive director of ADF International. He represented her in the courtroom, and he's had a very long day. It's actually almost 1 a.m. there in Finland. Paul, welcome back to the program. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for staying up late to share with us uh, what occurred today. But before you get into today's uh, court hearing, for those that may not be familiar with the case, can you briefly tell our listeners a little more about the case? Yeah, absolutely. So Pavi Rosanen is a longstanding member of the Finnish parliament. Uh, She has served as the interior minister. Um, She has served as the leader of her political party. Um, And she's really served in almost every role. Um, of uh, different committees within the parliament over 25 years. And in 2019, as an active member of the Finnish Evangelical Lutheran Church, she was shocked to learn that uh, the church leadership had decided to sponsor the Helsinki Pride Parade. So she sent a tweet directed at her church leadership with a picture of some Bible verses and questioned their decision and asked how that aligned with the teachings of scripture. And then she thought nothing much more about it until she found out that it was being investigated by the police for alleged hate speech. She was invited to the police station. She was interrogated, asked about her Christian beliefs, asked about what the Bible taught, what what she meant by this tweet. And then in the process of this investigation, they then started digging up many other things that she has said and written over the years. They went back almost two decades Uh, They found a a pamphlet that she wrote for her church in 2004. They extracted three minutes of a radio debate, took it out of context and used that. And they compiled all of these things together and then charged her with hate speech. And she was in court today together with a bishop 
who published this booklet back in 2004, defending their beliefs, defending the Bible, defending their freedom of speech. Now, Paul, I should also mention uh, Pave is not only a member of parliament, she's also a physician by, uh, by training, a very educated woman. Um, so speaking out on her biblical faith, quoting scripture, and she's charged as a criminal, and she is now, and this has been going on for quite some time, as you pointed out. So she's been, they, they've been dragging this thing out today. Finally, the hearing for her. How did today's hearing go? Well, it, it really was surreal. Um, the prosecutor began the day by stating that this wasn't a case uh, about uh, Christianity. This wasn't a case about the Bible. This wasn't a case about her beliefs. And then immediately started to make it all about the Bible, all about her beliefs, all about Christianity. And I'm not kidding, began the day by reading passages of Scripture, reading Old Testament verses, uh, and the day just really uh, continued from there. Um, there is no question that as you sat in courtroom today and watched this case unfold, um, what was on trial is really biblical teaching itself. It was referenced multiple times throughout the day, and then the day finished by the prosecutor cross-examining a bishop in court, asking him about his theology, asking him how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament, asking him, does he follow God's law or does he follow the law of Finland? It was surreal, uh, and it was, in a sense, it was terrifying. So, Paul Coleman, this has implications far beyond Pave's case and these criminal charges, as tragic as that is. As you say, this was the Bible on trial, and we can't think that this would just stop with Finland. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, Finland's actually not as bad as other parts of Europe. I mean, this could be a, a, uh, an open season on biblical teaching and biblical truth. Absolutely. And, and, and again, the, the prosecutor made that pretty clear in, in how the arguments were constructed. Um, after the morning break, a, a Christian radio journalist just turned to me and said, he'd better, he'd better go back through everything that he said over the years and, and check that wasn't going to be uh, used against him as well, because it's, it's far broader than just this, this one case, these, these two people and, and these things that they've said. And it's not just about Finland. Finland has what we call hate speech laws within the criminal code, and so do all European countries, as does Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and, and other countries. And these laws are extremely uh, vague, they're subjective, and as a result of that, they can be arbitrarily enforced. And if you take an example like this, they've gone back and combed through almost 20 years of this person's life. And so who among us could say honestly that if 20 years of everything we've ever said, everything we've ever written, all the beliefs and opinions that we've held, uh, if these were to be combed through by state prosecutors and then words and sentences used and twisted and taken out of context and then held against us in court, who could withstand something like that? Well, especially when we're talking about the Bible in particular. I mean, Paul, how do we maintain vibrant democracies in Western civilization that is built on the foundation of Christianity? How do you maintain that if we can't even have a discussion in society about big issues such as human sexuality? Absolutely. And I think that 
perhaps even for the first time during the court hearing today, the implications of the case started to reverberate beyond just the Christian community and uh, out towards a lot of the mainstream media that were reporting on the case as well. Um, I was speaking to a journalist from the national broadcaster at the end of the day, and he said to me that he, for the first time, really saw the implications of the case, that it's not just about Christian speech and Christian beliefs. Of course, that's the center of this case, um, but it could then be turned against other people's views and other people's beliefs in other cases in the future. And ultimately, what we can and can't say gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And as you point out, ultimately, it's our democracy that's at stake, because if there is no discussion among citizens, there is no real democracy. Yeah, and what uh, you going back to really what is at the uh, really the epicenter of this are these hate speech laws that have been adopted around the world. And uh, I've seen this in my role on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, that they are very nebulous. They are vague. Uh, and they're open to t- interpretation. So if you have a zealot in one of these uh, prosecuting roles, they can take it and and use it like uh, silly putty and stretch it into whatever they want it to be in order to go after someone. And it's the chilling effect that it often has uh, that is the most dangerous aspect of the application of these laws. Absolutely, because... Parvi Rosanan is an extremely resilient woman, and so is Bishop Johanna Paola. And both of them have withstood this for the last two and a half years and withstood this trial today. But of course, there are many people looking on, uh, wondering and worrying if what they think and what they believe uh, is in fact a criminal offence. And, and they certainly wouldn't like to have a criminal trial hanging over them for years. And so they self-censor, they withhold their views, uh, and it creates this chill, this chilling effect on everyone else's speech. And in addition to what you've mentioned about the nebulous nature of these laws, one other thing I'd like to mention is they don't require any, any victims. So one of the bizarre things about the case today is there were no witnesses or victims that had come forward. There was no one actually in court to say that anything that had been said or written Uh, had somehow insulted or offended them. So this is all hypothetical or abstract. The general prosecutor has launched a case based on essentially what she thinks other people think about these views and beliefs. And so that is another reason why they can be used and turned against anybody, because there's there's no one there in court saying that they are a victim of any of this. Right. So when do you expect to hear a verdict in this case? Well, unfortunately, the case did not conclude today. Closing arguments will take place on the 14th of February. And after that, uh, there will be a judgment within about two to four weeks. So we're expecting sometime perhaps around the beginning to middle of March. All right. Uh, I know it's late. I want you to be able to get to bed. I do appreciate you staying up. But one final question. How can our audience be uh, praying for Pavi, for you uh, and the others involved in this case? I think continue to pray for their their courage and resilience. It has been quite incredible to watch and witness the fact that uh, really nothing can stop Pivy smiling, all of this thrown at her, and she continues to to smile and to hold on to her faith. So I think it'd be great to just continue to pray for her perseverance um, and, uh, and that joy that's within her throughout this trial. 
Well, Paul Coleman will do that. And I want to thank you for staying up late there in Finland and joining us tonight uh, to uh, to discuss this case. And we'll be watching uh, very carefully. Thanks for having me on. All right. Uh, Paul Coleman with ADF International. Well, since the news broke of Pave, uh, in that case, Christians in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world have been praying and expressing support for the Finnish parliamentarian um, and that includes members of Congress uh, here in Capitol Hill, where, uh, led by uh, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, uh, members of the House have uh, been speaking out on this. And he, uh, Congressman Chip Roy, joins us now by phone. He represents the 21st Congressional District of Texas. Chip, welcome back to the program. Tony, uh, glad to be on as always. Uh, thanks for your focus on this issue. There's you know, very few things that are as important as this right now in the world for our consideration and conversation in the United States, but also around the globe. Well, let me let me jump right into that, Chip, because we don't have a lot of time. But why should Christians in the United States be concerned about this case out of Finland? Well, because, you know, when you see this occurring in Europe, when you see this occurring around the world, it is not long before it's occurring here. And in fact, it's already occurring here, just not quite as openly and obviously, right, with an open prosecution of someone saying this. But when you're talking about cancel culture, when you're talking about where we're headed in our schools and our society, what you're seeing in Finland is a glimpse into the future for our country. And more importantly, We have a duty to stand up for religious liberty and stand up for people to be able to speak the truth around the world, whether it was that young man in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square or whether it's this uh, these two individuals in particular facing this, you know, uh, absurd prosecution in Finland for daring just to speak their faith, their the truth of man and woman and their belief about marriage. So what that, that I think is why Americans should care. You know, one thing that sets us apart from many of these European countries, most or all European countries, and even Canada, is our First Amendment freedom that we have. But going back to my conversation with Paul Coleman, part of the issue is self-censoring, that people just don't want the hassle. They don't want to face the cancel culture, so they go silent. We do that. We lose our First Amendment freedom. Well, I'm glad you noted that. For now... The First Amendment protects us largely from prosecution for this sort of thing. But it doesn't really fully prevent us from persecution and being ostracized and alienated and canceled. We're seeing it every day, right? We're seeing even in even in our most conservative parts of the country, you're seeing our kids uh, being afraid to speak up. I mean, a recent survey, Tony, at the University of Virginia said that only 4% of the students were willing to speak up against the faculty on, quote, controversial topics, okay? This would be one of those controversial topics, of course. So that's what's happening in our society. And, and don't think for a minute that prosecution for these kinds of things under the guise of hate crimes won't eventually be allowed And leftist judges will say, like this prosecutor is arguing, that there are, quote, boundaries to free speech and boundaries to free expression and boundaries to freedom of religion. Uh, there really should not be uh, within you know, reasonable limits, obviously, of fire in a theater and those kinds of things. So the way that we protect that fundamental freedom that has distinguished America and made us the really the beacon of freedom around the globe 
is to use that freedom and use it uh, with, uh, with, with responsibility, as you pointed out, but to use it uh, in, without regard to what the cancel culture says or what the political uh, winds may be blowing, which direction they may be blowing. We need to speak truth and we need to speak it boldly. Look, if we cannot right now in a society that's supposed to be the land of the free, in the United States of America, if we can't stand up in defense of ourselves and our brothers and sisters around the world uh, and talk about, in Western civilization, talk about marriage, talk about man and woman, then what can we say? I mean, if you, if you take that away, what's left, right? Because that's right. the basics of who we, who we are. When you look at a little kid, and a little two-year-old is asking when they see a mommy, where's the daddy? And they get these things because, of course, they do. Human nature. Of course, they see it. And we're being told by the intellectual elite, so to speak, that we have to bow down to their will at a, a world that they have imagined and created. That undermines the very existence of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that the Declaration stood for and that the Bill of Rights echoes and enforces. So I would just tell you that there is nothing more important than standing up for this around the world as both a predictor of what we need to be defending in our own country, but also to stand in solidarity with people around the world so that they know that we will stand alongside of them, that they should speak out so that our freedom is protected around the world. Well, and uh, Congressman Chip Roy, we appreciate the fact that you're doing that on Capitol Hill and elsewhere. And folks, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us as well. And let me remind you of this from the Apostle Paul, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, just keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 